A really warm welcome to episode 41 of Purpose It Podcast and my guest Guy Ryan. He is founder and CEO of the New Zealand charity Inspiring Stories. Guy set up this charity with a big bold vision to see every single young New Zealander unleash their potential to change the world. Enjoy the episode. I come from a tiny little rural community, um, don't come from any wealth, don't come from any kind of significant credibility. Um, and as a young person with that big, bold vision trying to knock on doors was honestly really challenging, eh? Like I just, a lot of people or organizations wouldn't take me seriously, wouldn't, you know, wouldn't give us the time of day to kind of share what we were thinking. And it took a long time to build street cred. Purposely Podcast, speaking with social entrepreneurs and charity founders and leaders, people who are making the world a better place. Here's your host, Mark Longbottom. A really warm welcome to Purposely Podcast, Guy Ryan, how are you? I'm doing very well, thank you, Mark. Great to be here. Thank you for the invitation. Yeah, really good to connect. And I just want to get straight into what is the vision and mission of Inspiring Stories? What are you guys, what are you all about? Yeah, cool. So um, we set up Inspiring Stories with a big, bold vision to see every young New Zealander unleash their potential to change the world. And I guess the, the kind of the genesis of that, I was studying at university down in Dunedin, um, doing commerce, doing design, doing filmmaking. Um, as a young person, I started just learning a lot more about some of the big, especially social and environmental issues in our world. And as a young person, I found that really confronting, um, you know, the huge inequality that exists in our world, the challenges around climate change. Um, and at the same time, I could see all this incredible creativity, um, passion, potential of young people around me. And I just thought, you know, imagine if every young New Zealander unleashed their potential to change the world, what would it take to make that happen? Um, and I, you know, I'd been an entrepreneur, I'd, I'd built uh, and tried to, to run various startups and, and businesses and ventures previously. And so I set up Inspiring Stories with that big, bold vision and pitched it to Vodafone um, and was lucky enough to win a scholarship through their World of Difference program in 2011. Um, that, if successful, would pay your salary and expenses for one year to head a youth-focused project of your choice. Only ever one year's support, so you've got to figure out how to make the model work. So we're 10 years old this year, and it's been um, an amazing adventure over the past decade. And so, so you're a registered charity? That's your kind of vehicle? Yep. So set up as a charity... Um, you know, and operate like a business where we can. Um, everything has a slightly different um, resourcing model around it, if you like. So we run a few flagship programs and initiatives. So we run an annual summit called Festival for the Future, which brings 1,300 people together, really as a showcase of what's possible, um, looking at leadership, looking at innovation around some of these big issues of our time. We run something called the Impact Awards, which gives $25,000 out to young New Zealanders making a difference across five different categories, climate, enterprise, inclusion, well-being, and a global impact category. 
And then we run a year-round leadership development program for young people in some of New Zealand's most challenged rural and provincial communities called Future Leaders, um, which has a huge focus on project-based learning with different layers of mentoring, coaching, workshops, bring them all to Festival for the Future and the Impact Awards. That's kind of our model, if you like, but all of the major um, programs and initiatives uh, are really um, brands and websites and IP and it's all just one legal structure under inspiring stories with that big bold vision um, and then the other part that we run which is a bit more commercial is a speaker bureau inspiring speakers which runs a social enterprise representing some of New Zealand's top talent for paid speaking opportunities and then we put the revenue from that back into scholarship opportunities um, for young people. So that's kind of the model, if you like, um, and yeah, set up as one legal entity for um, simplicity purposes, uh, and then each initiative having a slightly different revenue model or resourcing model built around it. Um, what were the kind of initial challenges and how did you cope with them? You, so you, you're pretty young at that point, I imagine. And um, <laughs> Yeah, so... Yeah. I was 24 when I like first set up the, the legal entity of the organisation. Um, by the time I received the, the Vodafone scholarship, 25. Um, so I'm 35 now, not quite as young, um, and a father. Uh, and I think, you know, initial challenges, um, you know, I come from a beautiful uh, but relatively low socioeconomic part of the west coast of the South Island, a little place called Granity. And my parents separated um, when I was about eight years old. My mum, who's a nurse, largely raised my two sisters and I. Um, I, you know, most of my peers dropped out of school at age 15 to get jobs up the coal mine or in the fish factory or hit the bongs and the drugs. Um, I think of about 120 students in year nine or third form, there might have been 10 of us in year 13. And then of that, maybe five went to uni. So I was the first in my family to go to university. Um, and that really opened my eyes. But in terms of you know, setting up inspiring stories, I come from a tiny little rural community, um, don't come from any wealth, don't come from any kind of significant credibility. Um, and as a young person with that big, bold vision trying to knock on doors was honestly really challenging. Eh? Like I just, a lot of people or organizations wouldn't take me seriously, wouldn't, you know, wouldn't give us the time of day to kind of share what we were thinking. And it took a long time to build street cred, um, you know, which inevitably can lead to a bit of resource and support to make things happen. So um, we've grown and, and, and evolved heaps over that decade. You know, we're now in a place uh, where we've grown, thankfully, well beyond that initial year of scholarship support from Vodafone. Um, we turn over about a million dollars in annual revenues now. We've diversified the, the revenue portfolio massively. We've got over 10,000 alumni that have taken part in our programs. Um, collectively, thanks to the generosity and support of our community, we've put more than $2.1 million into scholarship support for young people over the past decade. And we've got you know, an incredibly diverse range of alumni who are going on to do all kinds of great things and good things for their community, their country and beyond family where big issues were discussed and there was a lot of uh, inflection on on issues and the difference you can make like to think that it was all possible not really to be honest like um, no it was it was really like stepping outside of my tiny little rural community and getting to Dunedin to study at University of Otago which at the time you know was a massive jump um, and I think part of that was being exposed <laughs> to teachers that were passionate about what they were teaching. Um, and, you know, you're, you're suddenly in this campus environment with people from all across the country and right around the world.
was just exposed to a lot of those issues in a way that I had never been before. Um, and, you know, I think the, the discourse around those issues, a lot of them itself has evolved hugely over the, over the past decade, you know, like, I think 10 years ago, the idea of climate change was a, you know, in some circles was a, was a pretty radical and far out there thing, but now there's so much data and evidence to look at, here's the issue, here's the challenges, here's the actions that we need to set us on a safer climate future path here. There's so much more um, visibility and knowledge and awareness, I think, in the general population now of a lot of these challenges that we face. Um, and still, a lot of young people find it incredibly overwhelming. Um, and I think social media and the internet make a lot of these challenges more visible than ever before. And the challenge with that is that if you do feel overwhelmed by these issues, you know, that's fear and it's incredibly disempowering. And I think the flip side of that is, you know, these challenges are real, but absolutely we need hope. You know, we need to, to, to be able to feel like change is possible more than ever, you know, and having... Um, relatable examples of role models and people who are demonstrating incredible leadership and actually driving real change in lots of different circles and then pathways to support them to, to you know, to think bigger, to, to create impact. That kind of stuff, I think, particularly in this age, has, has never been more important. So it feels like, you know, it feels really relevant to be doing this kind of work right now, um, but certainly it's been a crazy adventure over the last decade and it's not been all smooth sailing to get to where we are now, I can tell you that. No, no, I bet. And kind of reflecting on your sort of best day in the office early on when you kind of thought, do you know what, actually this is really working and I'm, I'm making a difference. Is, it, is there a particular person or story that, um, you know, you've inspired? Oh, there's thousands, literally. Um, so... Over the weekend, just being, um, we've just run a, a hui or a gathering as part of our Future Leaders program that runs in a number of rural and provincial communities across New Zealand. Um, you know, and there are young people, you know, aged 16 to 25 as part of that program who live with, you know, have live with or have overcome significant adversity. Um, a lot of the challenges in these communities, there's drugs, there's gangs, there's violence, there's multi-generational welfare dependency, there's the impacts of colonisation, there's, you know, there's mass unemployment, there's young people who have never been on a plane in their life at age 19, let alone have access to a device or data. Um, and, and then some of the young people that have come through that experience who have just triumphed through so many adversities that they face. So one of those young people that we had back in as an alumni over the weekend, um, his name is Joseph Nametuangaro. Um, he's from Opotiki, um, young Māori Cook Island lad. Um, when he came through our Future Leaders program in 2017, um, you know, he'd, he'd just lost uh, in relatively recent time. Both of his parents had passed away, part of a big family, um, you know, a lot of kind of day-to-day -day challenges and adversity that he was facing at that time. Um, and through those experiences of taking part in the Future Leaders Program, taking part in Festival for the Future, it's just kind of, it's opened his eyes to a whole new world of what's possible. It's like, it's raised his aspirations. He's had a support network and some pathways. So he's gone on to study at Massey University, um, a degree in commercial music. He's the first in his whānau to go to university. 
Um, he's, he, was, uh, he became the president of the Māori Students Association at Massey University, responsible for 1,300 other Māori students um, taking part in the university, just stepping into leadership roles and hearing him over the weekend just being back in that room as an alumni sharing his journey and his story of how far he's come over the last four years. It was really moving, to be honest. Mm. Um, mm. You know, I, I could share stories about young people who are running for council and local government in places where traditionally no young people have ever run or young people stepping into leadership positions and sitting on boards or governance positions and helping to bring unseen or unheard voices and perspectives into the room and into some of those decision-making processes or building ventures, building social enterprises, winning kind of you know, major national awards or representing New Zealand on the world stage. Like there's such a diverse range of, of alumni that we've worked with over the past decade. Um, so it's, it's hard to pinpoint a single story, but there's one for you with Joseph. Yeah, that's great. Great story. And um, I guess all those moments make the challenges which you alluded to earlier worth it. Um, what would be the toughest things like they've faced to make this all happen and, and ensure Joseph's happen? Yeah, I think the hardest part in this journey, hands down, has been the kind of the resourcing and sustainable resourcing model around it. And that's hard, right? Like the nature of that scholarship from Vodafone initially, it was only every year's support, right? So you've got to figure out how to make a model work within a year, which is incredibly tough. And ironically, after what I think 15 years of running that program, Vodafone actually pulled it a couple of years ago because what they realized is that most things didn't sustain beyond a year and most people burnt out. And so we went through, you know, for the first five years of the organisation, really, we went through this incredibly challenging chicken and eggs situation where we never had, you know, you need resource to do the thing, but you have to prove that you can do the thing to get the resource. And we were kind of, you know, so hand to mouth where we never had enough cash in the bank to say, book out a venue to run our festival for the future the following year. You know, it was always like we'd just get through the next little bit and then maybe we'd get enough money in the bank to absorb the risk to book out a venue um, to run festival for the future, maybe three months beforehand, you know, which, which yeah. was incredible pressure on a team. Um, and we also never had the capacity to have employees, right? It was always just fixed-term contractors. So one of the kind of massive shifts that happened really, I think it was 2015, when I was awarded Young New Zealand of the Year and we got a little bit more street cred and with that came a bit more resourcing and support and multi-year support but that enables it enabled us to transition to actually have go from fixed-term contractors and being very hand-to-mouth to suddenly we could have employees um, you know over longer periods of time we had a bit more certainty to book out um, you know venues a year in advance and plan with confidence and then really it was only until um, I think 2019 was really the first time that we could shift um, to go from you know very fixed term employees to actually having a permanent staff base year round so now we're a team of 16 or 17 people um, across what nine or ten different communities across the country you know, we've got an amazing board of trustees, we've got a great team, um, and we're in the best place we've ever been. But yeah, um, big ups and downs along that journey. And I became, and that, a, you know, I became a father right in the middle of that as well. Yeah, so, yeah. A one-year-old and a four-year-old, which who I loved a bit, um, yeah. but certainly meant that, you know, in the early days where I'd put 60 to 80 hours every week, you know, really poured my heart and soul into getting this off the ground, 
becoming a father, I just couldn't do that anymore. And so for the first year of my eldest son's life, who, <laughs> who was honestly a terrible sleeper, I would have I rocked up to work, I think, probably averaging three to four hours sleep a night for an entire year. So, so 2017 was an incredibly tough year as well. Yeah, that's, I mean, also, how do you pay yourself? Like, because you, you've got, um, you know, you've got to live. And, and I guess you paid yourself last and put in all those hours and eventually it was worth it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, um, you know, and I guess that those challenges have become even more real now, um, becoming a father and having a family. But yeah, from the outset, um, including with that initial year of support from Vodafone, I've, I've been able to have a salary albeit very low. I think the first couple of years I did it on $40,000 a year. Um, we've managed to increase that um, over time. Um, but, you know, it, it is incredibly um, true to say it's a, it's a passion. It's a real labor of love. Um, and we have an incredible output for a tiny team. Um, and slowly but surely, as we build a more resilient and sustainable financial model around it, we're able to not only expand programs and impact, but actually um, make sure that we remunerate the team as well. What jumped out at me was you did the, we were a fellow for the Edmund Hillary um, Fellowship. And just tell us a bit about that process. Yeah, cool. So um, the Edmund Hillary Fellowship, um, there's, there's a couple of different layers to it. So on one hand, um, it's putting um, a lens of impact over immigration. So looking to attract entrepreneurs and investors to Aotearoa New Zealand who have an interest in solving humanity's grandest challenges and potentially looking at what are the opportunities within Aotearoa New Zealand to really um, foster innovation, to really be, you know, uh, a harbour of um, whether it's prototyping um, initiatives that can help tackle some of these um, challenges that we face and then look at opportunities to scale that out um, and, and, and take some of those ideas and innovations global. So on one hand, it's a, it's a, it's a network of people from outside of New Zealand who are looking for um, a visa and at some stage maybe residency. Um, entrepreneurs and investors and then there's within the intake of fellows and there's I think there's about 500 fellows now so it's grown very quickly about 20% of them are New Zealanders so I'm one of the New Zealand based fellows and it's it's a different um, experience I guess for every fellow who becomes part of the Edmund Hillary Fellowship um, but one of the huge value um, points I think for me has um, has been, you know, being really exposed to a global community of entrepreneurs, innovators, leaders, investors, and it just, it's really strengthened my global perspectives. It's, you know, it's made me uh, reconsider some of my aspirations or thoughts around scale, being exposed to different models, different ways of innovating. Um, yeah, so it's, it's obviously COVID happened last year. And so that um, meant that, uh, some of the kind of the face-to-face -face gatherings or ways that the fellowship has evolved to bring fellows together have changed quite significantly or ha have had to be adjusted. Um, but I think that opportunity of building a global community that's focused around impact is a really powerful idea at this time and has heaps of potential. The Young New Zealand of the Year in 2015, that, that must have been a great thing to win. Yeah, yeah it was hugely humbling. Um, and actually I was... Um, 
at the New Zealander of the Year Awards a couple of weeks ago um, up in Auckland. And it was amazing to be back in that room, you know, five years later. Um, and I think of the final, or semi-finalists even for the young New Zealander of the Year category, so there's 10, 10 semi-finalists, I think I knew nine of them, you know, have, have been involved in our work in some way, shape or form. Um, and to reconnect with some of the alumni there who have won um, some of those awards previously. It was the first time that we've ever had um, an alumni gathering or lunch before the actual awards took place. So it was amazing to reconnect with, there's probably what, 50 or 60 people who have won either New Zealander of the Year or Young New Zealander or Senior New Zealander over the past 12 years. Um, and it's a pretty influential, um, you know, tribe, if you like. And I think everybody in that room kind of has imposter syndrome, um, but deeply humbling and inspired by all of the other work that everybody else is leading across the country. Um, and just, it's the kind of thing that makes you feel incredibly grateful and proud to be, um, to be living in a place like Aotearoa in New Zealand and to be able to be in a privileged position to be doing um, this kind of work at this time. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it goes against the grain a bit, doesn't it? Because if you think about New Zealand's tall poppy syndrome or uh, we're a bit shy about um, taking the limelight. And I think um, those awards, they're good because they help celebrate amazing, amazing people, amazing stories. Um, and just reflecting on you a bit, um, do you believe, in, do you have a mentor? Do you believe in mentors? What are your, like, what's kept you driving doing those long hours like what are the things that you do in a week that you um that kind of help you yeah i, I mean i think that the kind of the major driving force is really the why and, and that's the why we exist as an organization in the context of these issue, big issues and challenges that we face you know investing in and supporting young people to realize their potential i i really feel has never been more important than ever so having that why that's been really solid from the outset that's what's kept me here. You know, that's what's that's what keeps me out of bed in the morning. And especially becoming a father as well. That's, you know, it's more real than ever. Um, in terms of mentors, like, yes, absolutely, have been incredibly lucky to have um, some amazing people who have sat on our board at different stages um, throughout the, the evolution of the organization. And also lots of other great people that, you know, might not sit on our board, but, um, have been incredibly generous with their time, um, you know, whether it's catching up for a coffee to, to, to pick their brain on what do you think about, you know, our, our business development strategy or how should we be thinking about impact or how can we better build an alumni or community network or whatever the challenge is, right? Like we've been very fortunate to have um, all sorts of amazing people give their time to join us, to speak, to present, to run sessions at Festival for the Future. So yeah, I think mentoring is a, is a really important part of it. Mentoring means different things for different people, and and um, I think one of the one of the most um, recent and beautiful things that we've done, um, I think, is to really try and build bridges across generations. So, you know, I think when I won the Young New Zealander of the Year award back in two thousand fifteen, there was probably a tiny little handful <laughs> of of young people in that room, um, and so. We launched something in 2019 called the Impact Awards, where the whole premise of that was to celebrate and support young New Zealanders making an impact with $20,000 in, in prizes. And we launched that campaign, you know, on a marketing budget of about 100 bucks, which is super lean, gives you a sense of how our kind of startup mindset and how lean we are. Um, we had 200 applications from right across the country. The caliber and diversity of applications was amazing. 
we made up a model for the impact awards that would sell tables for two and a half thousand dollars or $5,000 for a VIP. But the organizations that bought them, which were often big business and big government, would only get half the seats at their table. Half the seats we would gift out to young people who are part of our Future Leaders program from rural provincial communities or some of our semi-finalists um, from the Impact Awards. And honestly, like having those young people, that diverse range of young people seated at the table with often senior leaders from business and government and building bridges across generations, you know, sharing their ideas for the future, sharing the challenges that they face. Um, that was incredible. Like we, you know, it sold out. We had 400 people. Um, we had people who go to awards all the time that said that that was the best awards they've ever been to. And it was just like this beautiful, <laughs> timely model of, you know, can you can you come up with a business model that enables you to um, create impact or value in the space that you want to create it and have such a diverse range of young people um, and older people, decision makers who control resources, policy and power seated at the same table. Um, so you're a dad and you've, and you know, talked about lacking sleep sometimes, but um, like, do you run? Do you do play sport? Do, are there things that you, to get out of work mode and get out of parent mode and just sort of spend, how do you like spending your time? Yeah, 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 great question. Um, so neither um, my partner, Michelle, neither of us have family in Wellington, so that where we live. Um, so that means that, you know, we can't just drop the kids off to, to somebody else to look after. So it's always a juggle, but um, like I, I grew up um, playing every sport I could, you know, from a young age and have always been very active. And um, I'm, I, a couple of things that I love doing, uh, surfing, uh, skateboarding, uh, mount, mountain biking, kind of high adrenaline sports um, where possible and starting to get the kids into those as well. So putting, putting my boy on the, uh, on, on the little seat on the mountain bike and going for a cruise down the hill or um, got a paddleboard and make a point of taking them out on the ocean, um, not into waves, but just where it's flat, getting them out on the water. Um, I do go for runs when I can. Um, yeah, really important for my well-being to make sure that we've got some kind of good, fun, recreational stuff going on outside of the day-to-day -day yeah. as well. Fantastic. And we're very lucky in this country. I've spent quite a bit of time overseas but um you know back enjoying uh all the good things about New Zealand and there are many um have you have you traveled yet is that something you want to do more of or how, how yeah, is your travel I've, you know I've, I've been very lucky actually I've um been able to travel to many places like when when I finish up my master's at uni my partner Michelle and I um Michelle's originally from the UK so we went over there and then um we're we're able to go and explore a bunch of different places around Europe, um, Africa, I've been to a few different parts of Asia, I've been lucky enough to, to get some scholarships and go and um, attend and speak at things like the Social Enterprise World Forum or do a, a study kind of leadership tour of the United States. So have been very fortunate pre-COVID and pre mostly kind of pre-becoming a parent to travel and, and again, like build on some of those global experiences and global perspectives. Mm. Wonderful. And I know you're a good speaker. Um, is it something that comes naturally? Do you suffer nerves? Do you, you, you know, how do you, how do you make that um, <laughs> such a powerful tool? Yeah, it's a great question. Honestly, I used to be terrified of public speaking. It was the thing that, you know, almost above all else I, I feared and I hated doing it. I'd get super nervous. I'd tremble. I'd go red in the face. And then suddenly, um, I just, I had to do it, right? You know, I kind of 
I had to do it through university, presenting assignments, things like that. I still hated it. And then I found myself in a room where my, you know, my conviction for trying to um, create change and make something happen was that drive was so powerful that I just had to overcome that fear and, and, and do it, right? And it's one of those things that the more you do it, even though it's super uncomfortable at the start, the more you do it, the easier it gets. So, you know, I've, I've stood in front of a room of 2,000 people and I actually love it, you know, the opportunity to... Stories are so powerful, right? Like stories can move hearts and minds. They engage us emotionally. And the opportunity to stand up in front of a room and share a story or some ideas, I think, is incredibly powerful. And, and now it's actually something that I really love. Yeah, that's brilliant. And it cuts through all of the complications often, doesn't it? Like the story, because um, people can, can they connect with it so deeply uh, and you can get you can get in their hearts and minds um, as we work towards wrapping up um, the future for you in terms of inspiring stories you know you talk about sustainability piece um, where would you like it to be in five years ten years time and and you know any goals that you might have as, an, as a human <laughs> yeah 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 um, yeah so I think the past decade has really been figuring out and prototyping a model that is both a business and a resourcing model, but also a model that's around impact pathways that enables us to deliver on the mission, right? So the, the first dec decade's really been like prototyping and proving what's possible. I think the ne next decade's really about how do we scale that up? So if, you know, if we've been able to um, directly engage 10,000 alumni over the past and the last decade, how do, what, are the, what, are the, um, what are the innovations that will enable us to scale this stuff up to impact the lives of more than 100,000 people over the next decade? Um, that uh, I think when COVID happened last year, you know, all of us in every sector had to adjust, had to pivot in different ways that we perhaps hadn't expected before. So when we ran our festival for the future last year, Within a couple of months, we transformed it into a virtual summit. And we ended up having people from 57 countries around the world engage and attend. And, you know, in a very short space of time, we built partnerships with the Obama Foundation, with the United Nations Development Programme, with all sorts of amazing people and um, organisations around the world. Um, we had young people in refugee camps in Rwanda getting up at 4am to tune in and then go off. Amazing. We had people consistently getting up, you know, in Nigeria at 2 a.m. to tune in right across the Asia Pacific. So, and because it was a digital piece, um, you know, we could undertake our most significant scholarship program ever because on one hand, it was just a link that you could give people providing they had access to a device and data. And so that got us thinking a lot more around, okay, well, if we were to bundle up all of this, all of this knowledge, all of this experience over the past decade, what might uh, an ed tech for impact model look like? Um, so that's the space that we're just starting to, to explore a little bit more, um, but thinking of building out almost a completely new um, offering, if you like, that really leverages our existing knowledge infrastructure um, that could be globally scalable from day one. Um, and if, 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 if it works, you know, could enable us to impact the, the lives of tens of thousands of people around the world. So that's kind of the next play, if you like. Um, mm. the, the other piece that I talked about, you know, succession. Um, I'm not a young person anymore. Um, mm. And so, you know, if anything was to happen for me, uh, to me, I'm just making sure that we've got really strong systems and processes and people in place that this organization, this co can create impact and legacy well into the future. 
Um, and we've made a really good headway there over the last couple of years. Um, we've still got a bit more to do. Um, and then, you know, I'm a dad, so it's, it's, it's really important to me that I've been able to put um, firmer boundaries um, in place and limit my kind of working week to more of a kind of a 40-hour week, Monday to Friday frame, and really be a good dad is really important to me. So having good quality fun time. I think um, as a family, we're really keen to just um, try and take a, a bit of time off um, at some stage and do a sabbatical or adventure. So I think at the time when that happens, making sure we have some of those kind of key succession things in place for the organization will be a real test. But no, I think like, um, whilst we've had huge challenges over the past decade, and of course, COVID over the past year, um, I feel incredibly grateful um, to be doing this work, incredibly grateful to our team, to our community, and really proud of how, how far we've come and, and really excited about what we could do from here. It's been an absolute pleasure to catch up and uh, love this interview and uh, thank you for taking the time. Yeah, amazing. Thank you, Mark. Looking forward to, to checking it out and hearing how it plays out. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Purposely Podcast. I hope you like what you're hearing. Please subscribe and leave a review. Thank you.